Welcome to Lives, a show exploring our experiences in the world and how we might live well. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is spoken word artist and educator Felicia Kasher. In the show, Kasher shares how her love for words emerged and evolved, from early role models and reading, breaking through gender barriers by beatboxing and rhyming in the local hip-hop scene, to using poetry and language to heal after an experience of sexual assault. Kasha also shares how she uses her art to build communities of affirmation, advocacy, social change, and love. When we write as poets, the work is not for us. It's for somebody else. I mean, that's for writers in general, but since we're talking about this particular space, that work is for someone else to hear. Listeners are advised that the conversation in this episode makes reference to partner abuse and sexual violence. Felicia Kasher, artistically known as With Love Felicia, is an American poet, educator, healing artist, actor, host, and curator. Kasher, formerly Felicia Webster, has been commissioned by and has organized major programs and events with numerous organizations in Nebraska and Philadelphia. With a master's in education, Kasha loves to combine textbook knowledge with cultural content in what often feels like a theatrical experience. Her work colors audiences with the power of spoken word, with a heavy emphasis on affirmation. She's a TEDx speaker and a two-time winner of the Omaha Arts and Entertainment Awards Poet of the Year and several other community awards. Felicia Kasha, welcome to Lives. Hi, thank you for having me. I feel like we're at a big award show or something, and I'm getting ready to walk out on stage with my beautiful gown. <laughs> so let's, let's, if we can, begin with this love of words. So would you mind perhaps reaching back a little bit uh, into your life and uh, telling us, where did this love of words begin? Well, that's a great question, Stuart. Honestly, I'd have to say it started with my mom, my mom, right? Um, my mother, or mom, as you know, wanted to make sure my siblings and I were introduced to language and a variety of different books coming up. So she always read us books. We always went to the library. We were a part of uh, the summer programs that the library had where you could read so many books and then you want a Pizza Hut mini pizza. <laughs> I don't know if anyone remembers that. That's how long ago it was, but we always were reading. She had a huge emphasis on us reading and exploring different cultures through language. From there, being a part of church was a huge influence around words as well. In Sunday school, the the young people, the children, often once a month rather, once a month we had children's Sunday school and we presented the word for the day. And so I would go up and say a psalm or read a passage. And that was really, really important to my church coming up. Um, 
Then when I got in school, I had this incredible fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Scott Brown. She's now an angel and ancestor, so I, I thank her for that, as well as my mom, because my mom is no longer on the planet either, so I want to make sure I say that. Thank you, Mom. Uh, Mrs. Scott Brown in the fourth grade read books every day after recess, and I remember we could come in after recess, lay on the carpet wherever we desired. We could lay on our backs, our stomachs. We could lay next to a friend. But we were always close to her. And she sat in a chair and opened a book and took us to new worlds and dimensions. And I remember just feeling like I could go anywhere with a book, that I could be anyone I wanted to be, that I could travel beyond space and time and be somewhere else. And those experiences really marked a milestone in my life in terms of being a lover of words and understanding the power that they had. It reminds me of that question in the New York Times book review when they interview authors and they, they often ask, what is your ideal reading experience? And I wonder if you're describing what is your ideal listening experience. Absolutely. Because I think when you're comfortable, you can soak in more information. You can allow your mind to rest, be still, be present, and just take in the moment. I've heard you also talk about, as your life progressed, reaching a moment in time when you were around the age of 12, I think. And the hip hop scene was really coming to the fore, certainly in your own experience and life. And you have this love of words and you've got things to say. And I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing how this creative outlet started to take a different shape or form in your life at that point. Absolutely. Uh, when when hip hop hit the scene in Omaha, Nebraska, I remember being in my mom's friend's basement, just listening to music that was different from anything I had ever heard before. And the rhythm and the beat sounded like, well, the rhythm of the words, of conveying the words, sounded like poetry, but a lot faster. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is so cool. This is so fresh. This is so dope, right? <laughs> um, and I only heard men, if I could use that gender. At that time, that was the, that's, we had, you know, those were the genders we were using. Men were the only ones that were actually doing this it, um, in terms of on a wide scale level that I could see on TV or I could hear on the radio. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn this. I'm going to do this too. And I went home and I would practice and I would write and write and write and write because at school, when I was in junior high, which is now called middle school, the boys would come to school and they would get in these circles, which are called ciphers, but they would get in these circles and they would go back and forth. And it was like really braggadocious and they would go back and forth until you found a winner. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. Like, I don't care that girls aren't doing this right now, but I'm going to be that girl that's going to do this and I'm going to jump in and just break the scene. And so I would go home and practice my rhymes, listening to 
a variety of different rap artists from Rapper's Delight to LL Cool J. I mean, you name name it. Um, I just started to have this love for this style and I practiced and practiced and practiced until one day a good friend of mine knew that I was practicing and he was like, you're going to be our hidden weapon. And he let me join the cypher and I like blew them away. And I like practiced double time to make sure that I knew everything that I wanted to say, that it rhymed, it made sense. And not only was I bragging about myself, but I was going to knock down whoever I had to compete against verbally. So I was like this verbal assassin, right, <laughs> at 12. And then the cool part about it was some of my girlfriends also started to jump on board. And so then we had like this crew of girls who, you know, we were ready. We were ready to battle. We were ready to get in this cypher and just show the boys that we could do it too. What an exciting time. <laughs> what an exciting time. And then it was nice also to see then over time and space, there were women that became well-known and prominent in the hip-hop culture. So the culture, the part that we're talking about in hip-hop culture is um, emceeing or rapping. And then there was, you know, MC Light and Queen Latifah and Roxanne Shante. So it was great to see them come through that particular style of um, the culture. So it wasn't so heavily led with men or boys. So it was nice to see this, to have a reflection and like, oh my gosh, they're doing it too. You know, salt and pepper. It was awesome. I just, ooh, I love that. <laughs> I just love it so much. That was an awesome part of my life. <laughs> it feels as if around that time, you were beginning to confront issues about social expectations, social limitations, yes. whether it's around gender or otherwise. Absolutely. And I didn't know that then. I just knew that I wanted to, I mean, I can say this now, like break down barriers because there was home ec and then there was woodworking, right? I mean, it was there was very gender specific classes that we took when I was coming up in school and there was very gender specific careers, right? And even in, in artistry, very gender specific or really heavily gender led in one particular area. So um, the funny thing was I hated home ec. I wanted to take woodworking, right? And I couldn't um, at that time. So this particular artistic outlet allowed me to do it in my own way, in my own fashion, because we always got together after school. So I didn't have to worry about, well, you can't do this. You know, like, that's just for the boys. Well, it didn't matter because it was after school and I was going to do it anyway, you know, and, and and I wanted to break through a gender norm that was happening um, here in Omaha, Nebraska, in junior high, that I felt like girls and women could make their mark and be heard. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Shortly after this, in, in your teens, you really began to feel the power of words and moved into and explored more around poetry. I did. So so what was that evolution for you? Actually, so while I was rapping, I had a counselor at Mount View Elementary School, Miss Shirley Terrell, who saw a gift. And what she did was she helped push me along in my gift. So when I was rapping, she would let me rap the menu on the intercom to the whole school. 
So that was so so cool. Like we're having hamburgers and French fries. If you want some chicken, there's breasts and thighs, right? So that's what I was doing every day. And it was super cool. And then she was like, Felicia, you know, I think you should try this particular form. And her push allowed me to just start writing. And there was really no difference. Like I don't feel like there's a difference between a great MC who is a phenomenal poet and storyteller and a poet, right? I just didn't have the music. I just didn't have the beats. I just didn't. Ha- and now poets use all of that thing, you know, like they use that. And not to say even in history, when we look back, that there's Gil Scott Heron and the last poets who did use music, right? But for me, that wasn't introduced to me until a little bit later. So I took what I what I loved of words and then began to write. And I did get real serious. My friends now, I've even heard like people say, like, Felicia, like, well, everybody else was having fun in school. You were reading a book. And that's so true. Um, I wrote the goal at 14 because I was like, we got to have goals. Like, we have to make sure that we have goals in life. We can't just be out here lollygagging and having fun and thinking about the latest lipsticks or colors of lip gloss and the cutest boys in school. Like, I was like, no, we have to be more focused <laughs> So I was, I mean, I was super focused, like probably hyper-focused to be honest with you. So yeah, words were a way for me to to share what I was thinking. And I started to have audiences at a young age from, of course, like I said, church. Um, in church, I was truly blessed to be mentored by John Beasley, um, who introduced me to some wonderful poetry that I could use at um, our Black History Functions in church. And then Miss Shirley Terrell introduced me to also like, hey, Felicia, why don't you get involved in this? And why don't you think about writing um, for, I, I joined, let's see, AXO through the NAACP and learned about this opportunity to convey my words in a competitive nature, but not a competitive nature where you were judged like kind of like how slam poetry is. It was more like you were judged on what what you wrote, right? So the theme of what, what you wrote, the style, um, if you were using proper punctuation, it was very tedious, but it was wonderful to experience that because it pushed me even further into writing and being able to share my message. Spoken and written word have been traditions that have been with us for millennia as people. I'm wondering from your perspective, what are some of the traditions, the legacies that you're drawing on for um, for your own craft around the spoken word? Well, for me, um, spoken word is from the African and African-American oral tradition of storytelling. It's how we passed information down generation after generations after generations. Um, So throughout time and space, we used words to teach lessons and words to push one another through rites of passages, uh, words to tell of stories in our families, words to prevent us from being harmed and hurt 
that were coded and words to celebrate, words to inspire, words to light a fire. And so that lives inside my DNA. And I'm so grateful for the ancestors whose shoulders I stand upon because of that. You talked about being goal-driven and having this kind of focus. How did that feed into then you choosing to go to college and pursue an academic field that was tied to education? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. So my mom was an educator, uh, which I didn't say before. So her love of books was not only because she wanted us to be able to be well-read, well-spoken, and have exposure, but she was an educator. And my mom had a huge, huge heart. She worked with people that had a variety of different abilities. So coming up, not only did she work at a school and she retired from J.P. Lord School, but she also did respite care for families who just needed additional breaks on the weekend. And in our house, there was always some young person there with us with a different ability. And my mom's heart was bigger than anyone I had ever seen in real time. Um, because sometimes the young people needed feeding tubes or they needed to be changed, just depending on the severity of the support that was needed. So her love became my love. And I... Although I believe in my soul was an artist and still am an artist, I also became an educator by osmosis, right? I saw my mom loving and caring for people in such a profound way. I wanted to make sure that I could do that too and that that would be my gift to the world. I love this piece in your bio where you uh, say that you love to combine textbook knowledge with cultural content in what often feels like a theatrical experience. <laughs> um, but what does that mean for you? How does that show up in, in the work you do uh, in a more educational context? It's interesting. Right now I am teaching science. I thought I was going to go and I was like, I'm just going to sub this year, just take it easy. And then the science teacher that I'm at the school um, that I'm currently at is out for a long period of time. So now I'm in one classroom again where I intentionally said, you know, I'm just going to give it a break. I just moved here. I just got married. I'm going to lean back. Nothing strenuous. I'll show up for teachers when they need me. And now I'm here, like, really holding uh, space for this science teacher. But classes are fun. Um, and I use my artistic gift and the knowledge of science that I've learned from the teacher and also from my own history, my own research, because I love to, re I love researching. Like if I don't know something, I love to research it. So I used to hang out at libraries. I mean, now you can hang out on your phone or on your laptop, but I still enjoy the idea of being at a library. So when we're talking about taking text and cultural experience and bringing those together in a classroom. It is, you know, would you rather live on space 
or live under, you know, the ocean floor? And how would you survive? I mean, like just getting students and young people to think about that. And these are elementary students. And then it's like um, we were talking about problem solving, right? And so um, and how making good decisions, even if you make a well, making good decisions are important because there's always an outcome for everything, right? So we have these teachable moments in real time while I'm teaching science. So um, they often just like love it. Like it's. I'm charismatic and I'm silly and I'm artistic and I have them drawing a lot and writing and they don't even know the other part of me because I don't tell them that side. But we just have a good time because I can pull in my artistic self and I can pull in the relevance of science that we're studying and merge them to have an experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I also, for the cultural context, I also, because the majority of the school is 95% African-American, every day I give them a fact about an African-American person who was a science. And they get that every single day because I feel like you have to know that someone looks like you that's in this particular field. If you ever desire to become that or be it, you first have to see it in yourself. Whenever you feel moved to, would you read for us or, or speak to no. us if you have some work that you think, this is the work I want to share right now because the universe is telling me <laughs> this is the work that I should share? Let's see. Once I started teaching, I realized that a lot of students, especially who were not born and raised in um, the United States, as well as many African-American young people have names that are not, quote unquote, traditional to the English language or how we are, how we're raised to believe like Tony is a common name or Sally is a common name, right? So I wrote a piece um, that is in this present moment um, pushing me to share it called Say My Name. And it is a celebration of not only unique names, but specifically in the Black experience, because I have seen as an educator and also as a student, when names were too hard for people to pronounce instead of just asking for the correct pronunciation of the name, people have given people or young people nicknames. And names are powerful because names carry energy, names carry ancestral connection. Um, names mean something. Like the name Felicia means happy and lucky. <laughs> so my name is important. So you can't say Felicia or something else. That's not how you pronounce my name. So this one is called Say My Name. You will speak my name correctly. Accent the syllables required and give life to the gift my mama gave me as a verbal blessing. You will enunciate the consonants, breathe power into the vowels, and do it easily and effortlessly without questioning its mm, without questioning its purpose or the privilege of giving me a nickname of your choice. You will give voice to my full name energetically in classrooms, in boardrooms, in meetings, inductions, graduations, and celebrations at church, in mosques, at work, 
and neighborhood gatherings with all of its earned titles without confusion or anxiety, microaggressions or the illusion of what you think it should sound like to make you feel comfortable. You ask when you don't know how to pronounce my name properly, paying attention to my response as I slowly formulate my lips to phonetically comfort and check you with love once, maybe twice if I deem appropriate, so that you get it in the depths of your spirit. You will announce, declare, affirm, and proclaim my name in all of its glory, honoring my cultural identity, catching its creative collaborative essence off the tip of your tongue while giving verbal libations to honor my ancestors who sing in its generational glory. You will say my name respectfully, period. Thank you. <laughs> that was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that exhortation to us uh, <laughs> to, to you know, be invited into celebrating other people's names probably yeah i think it's actually pretty universal as as um our world becomes more and more diverse because it is no matter what people think our world is more and more diverse and we are going to have more and more young people with names that we have to stop and make sure that we stand in our power to respect them there was an interview you did with um Leo Adam Bega for Noise, and he quotes you as saying, we all stand up in creative activism through poetry and artistic expression. Part of our work in the world as creatives, poets, storytellers, is to speak the truth. And I just wonder if you would speak a little bit more about this urge, inclination, this drive to use your talent around social change. Now, the first thing that comes to mind when you repeat that, when you repeated that quote to me was one of the most powerful ways I was able to use my voice to convey a message and create social change was around the cycle of abuse. Over time and space, I've used my voice to speak light to goals, to entertain, to educate, which um, a phrase that KRS-One, who is one of my favorite rappers, uses to edutain, right? But there was a moment in time in my life where I went through domestic violence and rape counseling. That was in my 20s. And I remember feeling so empowered by the information that I had received in group counseling hearing the stories of other people who were there, making sure that I never judged, like, well, hers was worse than mine, you know, like not doing that because it didn't matter. Everyone had been through a terror. So one of the most powerful times for me was the ability to put together a play entitled Love is Not Abuse, um, because once I graduated, I wanted to tell everybody, especially my friends, like, that's abuse or that's a part of the cycle of abuse and that's got gaslighting and that's this and that's that. And 
I was losing friends because I was being brass. Excited, but brass, like just saying it factually, like, oh, my God, like this is what that is. Like you're being financially abused or you're being emotionally abused or that's spiritual abuse. And I'm just that wasn't working. And I remember I had. I feel like the spirit, I know the spirit just came over me and was like, you have to use your gift to convey this message. And I was moved. I was moved to write a spoken word play about the cycle of abuse. And that is when I was able to touch lives in one of the most profound and prolific ways on my journey as an artist. Um, That happened in the late 90s. I was so ready to share what I knew, but it wasn't working and I was pushing people away. And it's interesting to know that human beings tend to like to be entertained in order to sometimes grab powerful and important messages. It's like I had to get you to go through a journey of emotions in order to hit you where you need to remember it. And when I say hit you, of course, not abusively. (laughs) But I mean, like, just to hit you with the idea and the thought and the knowledge of information so that you can make an informed choice for yourself. Um, That showed me that if I use my gift in this way, then I can get people to be reflective and do the work that they need to do for themselves to become empowered, to become healthy, whole, and complete, and to know that oftentimes, especially with that particular theme, it was it's not your fault because we carry that guilt and that pain and trauma lives in our bodies if we're constantly repeating these in our mind. And so we're stuck. And oftentimes that manifests as dis-ease over time. So that was one of the, that was a huge way to use my work to create social change and to get people to look in the mirror and address hurt and pain, either that they had experienced or know of someone that experienced it or were the abusers. Because I've had abusers come up to me and be like, I had no idea I was doing that and I'm going to do something different now. So, yeah. I've also heard you talk about your son being ill and having some challenge for the medical establishment to diagnose him. And you talked about how words were a comfort to you. You could reach to words in that time. It it feels as if in some way that's also a connection to healing. Would you share that story a little bit? Yes, you must have got that from my TED talk. (laughs) So... When my son was really little, he was um, diagnosed. Well, they didn't. They didn't know it initially what it was. But I knew that we had to speak life into whatever it was. And eventually it came, off, came out that it was Kawasaki's disease, which is an inflammation of the heart, um, um, the arteries to the heart. But at the time when we were in Philadelphia and he was so young and having this experience, I knew that I wanted to continue to speak life, even though there were there wasn't a lot of information about it at this time. So on the whiteboard, in the 
<laughs> in the hospital room. I was like, you are healthy, whole, and complete. Like, you know, my son, you're healthy, whole, and complete. Um, I did not let doctors or nurses come in if they were loud and rambunctious. Um, I, if he was resting, I asked them to leave so that he could rest because rest was a part of his healing. And so it just took a different path for me. Like I was like, I'm setting the tone. I'm the motherboard, right? So as the motherboard, you have to go through me. And it was one of the most transformative times of my life because once we got back to Omaha, we left Philadelphia and we moved to Omaha and I took him to a cardiologist here. Um, they couldn't find anything. Um, and so I know the power of healing. I know the power of words. I know that we have the ability to speak life into what it is that we desire. Um, we can also speak ill. And ill can, um, the mean-spiritedness, the jealousy, the hatred, that causes something else to happen. It's a ripple effect. We have so much power. And I'm so grateful that I could show up for my son in that kind of way, um, which to this day, whether no matter who it is or has been in my family that needed that, that's what I did because I know it's real. Um, and we must be very, in, very, very, very intentional on what we say to ourselves and what we say to other people because we are constantly planting seeds that will grow beautiful flowers or weeds. Thank you for sharing that story. You have been active for so many years in helping the community along to travel with you in this exploration of use of um, enjoyment of words and language and using it for healing and affirmation and social change. Are there any particular events or practices or programs or engagements that you have created or taken part in that really stand out to you as part of your catalyzing community through this spoken word craft? Goodness. I don't even know where to start. I'll start with today. After I leave here, I'm actually doing a workshop for the community in honor of my mom um, and all moms. Everyone gets to bring something that represents their mom. So we are honoring the, the divine feminine mama energy uh, right after I leave here. Um, I'm constantly wanting to make sure that I can take the village with me. You know, what sense is it if one person is doing healing work and no one else is around them? And, and not to say that no one else is doing it, but if I can take several people with me, right, and we can all do this collectively, then we all have a ripple effect throughout our community, our village, our families, our lovers, our children, right, the world. So that's happening after that. But part of my work in the world, I have... So what else has Felicia done, right, that has brought me here to not only use my words in this way as a poet, as a writer, acting and voice, all that stuff that I've done, is I've gotten many different spiritual tools to support my journey. Um, 
So one of the biggest things I recently did, I took a spiritual warrior training with Yanla Van Zant during the pandemic. Um, that was very, <laughs> that was one of the most stressful, powerful experiences I ever had because part of being a warrior is being able to, as she says, walk through the bullets, the bullets of life, that you have to keep moving through the bullets to get to the other side. Sometimes we get so stressed out and boggled down by life because life is going to happen. It is, but it's not what happens, it's how you handle it. So those kind of experiences throughout my life, and that's just one of many, have helped me to be able to be a, a light worker or a light force for other people. Um, I always ask my divine power to let me be the light uh, because that's why I'm here. I'm here to use my words to be a light, to help other people see the light, even when it's hard to see it. It's still there. But we always have to remember in the dark is where we grow. That's where seeds grow. As long as they're nurtured and loved, they grow in the dark. And the dark is not necessarily scary. It's just a time to be still, allow yourself to be nurtured, see who you are at the root, and then grow. It feels to me that part of what you're describing there is resonant with the spirit of what has, I think, been a really vibrant community endeavor that is called Verbal Gumbo. Yes. And I wonder if you might give listeners a sense of what that is, because I, I think it's a way to illustrate exactly what you were sharing about the use of language yes. to inform ourselves about ourselves and uh. community. <laughs> Verbal Gumbo, which was co-created by Michelle Troxclair and myself, was whew, a mixture of life, the spices of life, the experiences of life, the church of life that allowed people to feel safe and comfortable to express themselves without judgment and to receive praise whether you were a novice or an expert. Verbal gumbo, <laughs> wow. A time to just let go and be free, to be fed something that you needed to hear. Because oftentimes when we write as poets, the work is not for us. It's for somebody else. I mean, that's for writers in general. But since we're talking about this particular space, that work is for someone else to hear. That's why we always called it Poetic Church, because you were going to get the sermon you needed for you. And Verbal Gumbo, um, especially at the House of Loom, because that's where it was birthed, was that space. You felt like you were stepping into um, a place that didn't exist in Omaha. We we created an ambiance. We uh we had it smelling a particular way. We cleansed the energy. We set up the seating a particular kind of way. We played music behind poets. So not only did you like go up to um, the mic to present, but you were like welcomed on the red carpet of music to go up to the mic and share to be, you know, 
celebrated in the gift that you had. So, and we still are doing it annually at this point, but when we did it once a month, my goodness, wow. The lives we were able to touch, the people who visited, the audiences. We've had people who've made transition that came to Verbal Gumbo that are now ancestors, but we're so thankful and grateful that they could be there in that space and share when they could in the time that they were here in this physical body. So verbal gumbo is magic at the mic, love overflowing, the abundance of words through poetic expression, beats and beautification of people, just a wonderful, good time, (laughs) soulful. I find it irresistible now not to ask you to read something. Uh, oh, you know what? I'll do an oldie but goodie. One of my very first pieces that I really enjoyed uh, sharing was one called Rebound. Um, and I actually shared it at Verbal Gumbo when we first started. I wrote it in the 90s about a rebound relationship. And if no one is clear, let me set the intention. A rebound is you just got out of a relationship. And you have moments of loneliness, and then you hook up with somebody. And typically when you hook up with somebody right after (laughs) you've gotten into a relationship, you try to start that hookup where you left off in your last relationship. Those things often fail (laughs) because you didn't give the new relationship or the hookup time to develop at that point. And truth be told, you needed to heal your broken heart. But hey, human beings have needs. (laughs) We just have to remember like... You know, slow down, stop, take care of yourself before you move on. Nonetheless, this is Rebound. (laughs) You, so beautiful to me, mentally, physically, and spiritually trapped me. And although I tried to duck and dodge my feelings, I found myself caught within your web of love like a fly to a spider web. You, someone who was very familiar with me, reunited with me, and soon flirting turned into texting, texting turned into calling, and calling turned into taking long walks around the park after dark. But we, prematurely relieved of our past relationship, questioned whether or not this was a rebound or more. So we talked about it, we... (laughs) We laughed about it. We explored our own individual thoughts about it. We asked, are we rebounding, rebounding, rebounding? But the feelings we had when we were together just seemed to grow and grow. The feelings we had when we were together just seemed to grow and grow. We grew and grew and knew and knew that time spent was time went and time soon became no factor. See, we had conversations, revelations, speculations. I felt like a teenager in love for the first time. There were butterflies in your inviting eyes. I would look out the window to see when you arrived. There was palm sweat and (sighs) breath check. Above and beyond hygiene standards met, there was bath and body spray, oil of Olay. I would put on my Victoria's Secret negligee. There was candles and incense burning, no concerning love songs and open arms. The sunshine became our alarm. There were aphrodisiacs, and my futon became a massage bat, and I couldn't wait for my turn to step up to the plate and bat. Hey, better, 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 swing! And you know I was going for home runs. See, you, you hear, you needed to leave, but you couldn't, and I, I knew you needed to leave, but I couldn't let you go because kissing you was something I loved to do. 
I reminisce on the love we had. See, the way your lips touched mine, melting into my soul, I became mesmerized, hypnotized by the way you touched me. If you were my professor, I'd never be late for your class. I'd purposely switch my eye to ask questions constantly because your lips will be a part of my methodology of mastering kissology and we'd melt like hot fudge sundays on a summer's eve. <laughs> Please. I needed you. I thought you needed me, but the fact remained that we could not be together because we were so scared of these feelings interrupting our current lifestyle. And so, long walks soon became long break, scattered, and finally ceasing. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> We've all had, had those experiences, right? Yes, we so. have. <laughs> well, we have. How are you a different person because of your creative craft? My creative craft has allowed me to not hold experiences in that weren't of the highest vibration. So anger, I can write it. Sadness, I can write it. That breakup, I could write it. So I wasn't boohooing for weeks and weeks and months and months and months and months and months and months. And months. It is the release of emotion. And the beauty of it is that it doesn't become just healing for me, but it becomes healing for whoever needs to hear it. So I'm very grateful, very thankful deeply that I can use my craft and my gift to let go. Yeah, it's, that, it's a beautiful way to change. People talk about journaling. The truth is I really don't like to journal. But I love to write a poem. You've talked about the past. You've talked about the higher. What is the future calling you to do or be? You know, one of the things that has happened for me is that I have not formally written a book. So it's time for me to start doing legacy work. At this stage of my life, it's time to be able to leave something on the planet. So when my time is up, there's still... Not the memories of Felicia, not the, oh, I was at that show or, oh, I went to that workshop. It's like, oh, no, like she actually left some stuff here <laughs> that you can tangibly use generations after generations that I can pass on to my incredible poetic son, Omni. He's an artist and so amazing. That's where I'm at now. And it's not just poetry now that I think about it. It's poetry, it's spiritual work, it is self-care for communities, for educators. That's where I'm at now. I have to leave tangible evidence that I was here. You've talked a little bit about church and about spirituality and the divine. I'm just curious how you use your talents, this work, to place you in some kind of relationship with or honoring of 
whatever it is that you regard as or define as divine and spiritual? Mm. I think at the foundation, I would not be able to do this work if it wasn't gifted to me. That's not to say that everybody believes that, but I do. It's almost like you are ordained to use your voice and you have to use it in a way that speaks life to other people. But not only are you supposed to speak life to others, you need to make sure you're constantly speaking life to yourself. So my higher power is like, this is checks and balances, baby. You got to do it for yourself. You have to be the reflection of me in order to show up and be the reflection of others. So my practice is that every day I am honoring the Most High. I'm honoring the Creator. I am honoring the Omnipotent, the I Am. And that that relationship has to be so tight so that I am open to hear what it is that I need to do at every moment. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to mess up because, of course, I do. But because I have some spiritual checks and balances, I get the results right away oftentimes. So I don't take it lightly. This is definitely something that I was meant to do while I'm on the planet. And I'm very, again, just thankful that I'm used as a medium to do so. That and my ancestors. You know, my honorable ancestors, boy, I tell you, we forget sometimes that we're like other people in our families, right? (laughs) And uh, I'm grateful for my grandmothers who spoke up and played in church and sang in church and um, who ministered and touch lives of other people. I'm very, very grateful for that. I don't take that for granted. My guest today has been artist and educator, Felicia Webster. Sorry, Felicia Kasher. Kasher, yeah. I'm a newlywed, so I get it. I don't, you know. (laughs) Thank you. Newly married to Mazie Kasher, yes. (laughs) November 11, 2021. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and congratulations. Thank you. is brought to you on KIOS Omaha Public Radio and is produced by Courtney Beerman. The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening.